Hello and welcome to the Access of Space Defense and Security podcast. I'm Omkar Nikam, your host for this episode. In this podcast, we explore the latest developments and trends in the fields of space exploration, defense technology, and national security. Each episode features insightful interviews with experts and industry leaders who share their perspectives on a wide range of topics, including the latest advances in satellite technology, space exploration missions, military defense strategies, cybersecurity, and more. Whether you are a space enthusiast, a military professional, or someone interested in the latest innovation in technology and security, this podcast has something for you. Join us as we delve into the cutting-edge research breakthroughs that are shaping the future of space defense and security. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome to episode 25, Understanding the World of Espionage and its Impact on the Space Industry. Today's topic is uh, very much interesting because previously we had guests who uh, gave us an outlook on espionage and the narrative warfare, but today we'll be taking a deep dive into the its impact on the space industry as well. So to have a deep understanding of this subject and to get some recent insights into this topic, we have today with us Dr. Joseph Fitsanakis. Hi, Joseph. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, I'm Kar. It's a great pleasure to be here today. Thank you very much. Uh, I know that you know you have been uh, quite busy. I've been following Intel news a lot, especially uh, your content is something that has inspired in some way this podcast. I would say uh, so. I'm really glad, uh, for, you know, from uh, to have this journey from being a reader of your content uh, to you know hosting you on my podcast. So yeah, thank you very much. It's a great pleasure. Of course, uh, Intel news is a is a is a labor of love for me. My my day job, of course, uh, is a full time academic, but but I try to keep uh, uh, in touch with the current events as much as possible, and that's really the role of uh, Intel news. So I'm glad to hear that it's bearing fruit. Yes, definitely. Also, uh, Joseph, uh, you know, as you mentioned, like you're into academics as well. So prior to you know starting with the topic itself, and as we have a quite a lot of audience who possibly are pursuing even the PhDs, and some of them are even you know into like a master stream as well. Uh, so you know just to have a little bit outlook uh, on you know how to get into the sector. So can you tell us uh, about your journey and how you you know ended up being uh, into this such a niche sector? I will say because you know this is not a common. uh research studies uh, like you know other international relations and all like intelligence is a very small domain uh, when it comes to you know doing a niche level research so can you tell us a little bit about your journey i think it's a very astute observation intelligence studies is indeed a very niche uh topic it connects with security studies it also is kind of a subfield of international relations and in many ways uh, government studies and essentially it uh, concentrates on the study of intelligence institutions both in democratic societies and non-democratic societies it has kind of a dual uh, kind of aspect to it one of them is kind of critical studies understanding the role criticizing the role improving relations between intelligence agencies and uh you know executive the executive but there's also a kind of a professionalization aspect where um you know it is true that uh, every government uh, needs uh you know the contribution of uh, well trained 
and uh, well-versed uh, intelligence professionals. In my particular um, background, I mean, I began working on this uh, topic uh, way before it became kind of cool, shall we say, in the late, in the mid to late 1990s, uh, where I concentrated on the area of communications interception. Uh, in fact, my PhD is on the topic of communications interception, what most people call, uh, refer to as wiretapping. And that, uh, of course, uh, became a lot more timely uh, with the onset of 9-11. And at that point, I joined the field of intelligence studies uh, kind of head on. And I've been teaching in the field of intelligence and security studies ever since. For those interested in the field, yes, we need more people. Uh, I would say that it it focuses more on the work and the sort of the facets of intelligence institutions. So it, it is something that can be applied to many fields. So for example, intelligence is essentially um, how to uh, consume information without getting overwhelmed and connecting the dots, making sense of it, and then passing it on uh, in an efficient and effective manner to the decision makers who make decisions. So this can be applied to international studies, it can be applied to domestic security, it can be applied to everything, business even, right? Um, I have noted in recent years an, an influx of intel, in, international studies, uh, or international relations rather, academics in the field. I think that it is perhaps more useful for those who wanna get involved in the field of intelligence studies to directly start studying intelligence uh, and not uh, uh, necessarily view it as a, as a subfield of international relations because we need the more kind of niche approach uh, in this field. Yes, and uh, just to little bit extend on this topic, uh, and as we have a broad range of audience, I mean, we have a lot of audience from the space industry as well, who are a little bit, you know, unaware about uh, certain terms in the defense and security. So this question is uh, something, you know, that serves the audience in the space industry. Like, what are the primary objectives of espionage and how they have evolved over time? Right. I do want to clarify something as well. And intelligence, of course, is a broad field. Within the field of intelligence, you have espionage. And part of my specialization is in espionage which refers specifically to using living, breathing human beings to collect information from other living, breathing human beings, right? So, or with the help of other human yes. beings. So it's not necessarily um, technologically mediated, although obviously in this day and age, uh, technology plays a big part of it, but it does stand out from other ways of collecting intelligence because it places an actual human agent uh, in the target environment, as it were. So it can be yes. dangerous, it can be very controversial, right? So the purpose of yes. this is to get into the mind of the target, to be able to understand the target's intentions, um, ideally before they actually materialize. So to give you an example, uh, let's take North Korea. I mean, using all kinds of um, methods, so for example, satellite imagery, we may be able to observe that North Korea, let's take a hypothetical example, is amassing yes. troops in the uh, border with South Korea. 
Well, we can see that what we don't know is what exactly is the reason for that. What's in the intention of the North Korean leadership? And usually, not always, but usually the only way you can get that information is through espionage because the imagery alone uh, cannot give you what's in the mind of the leadership of North Korea. And of course that yes. works best with systems that are not too centralized so that if you only have one leader uh, who makes all the decisions and does not even let his or her closest advisors know about this, it's much more difficult to penetrate than less centralized systems. So that in essence uh, is what the purpose of espionage is. Interesting. I think you covered uh, most of the notable instances of espionage and the latest technological advancements. I believe AI is also something that is coming up. Uh, I mean, in satellite images, we already use in the space industry AI quite a lot. Uh, but the AI-enabled warfare, uh, that is something that is not used on a large scale. Uh, but yeah, I think it will be also interesting to explore down the line, I think, as the technological advancements grow, uh, both on the terrestrial and the space domain. And just to connect the dots with the space industry, how did espionage activities uh, during the Cold War shape the trajectory of the space race? Well, I mean, the Cold War is sort of the quintessential school uh, that uh, informed the methodology of espionage in the modern era in both East and West. Um, I would say that given the fact that the space race was such a major component of the East-West rivalry during the Cold War, espionage, I mean, it proved uh, crucial. It gave crucial intelligence that actually influenced the strategies. Uh, it influenced the competition, the advancements between the two superpowers um, in the realm of space uh, exploration in particular. Um, I would say that uh, if you think about all the main components of uh, the hardware of the space race, rocketry, uh, guidance systems, yes. uh, you can think about propulsion, uh, any other critical aspect of space technology uh, became a target essentially uh, on both sides of the Cold War uh, between about 1947 or so until the end of the Cold War. Uh, and I would say that espionage proved invaluable insights into the, the other sides, let's say, capabilities. And that includes things like satellites as well. Let's not forget uh, surveillance and reconnaissance uh, capabilities yes. of satellites. One of the big, you know, sort of secrets has always been how capable, what are the capabilities of uh, the other side satellite systems, let's say, or surveillance systems, uh, airborne surveillance systems. Um, the ability to gather information about an adversary's military installations or missile sites, other strategic locations involved in the space program became really one of the most key aspects of the, of the Cold War. And it kind of led to the space race, this cat and mouse game that we saw develop in the, during those decades. And of course, I would also like to add another aspect of intelligence, intelligence which is um, propaganda and psychological warfare, and what we refer to in the field as information operations. So we saw a lot of intelligence operations during the Cold War that extended beyond just gathering intelligence, 
but also included efforts to manipulate public opinion uh, using the space race as a vehicle to do so. So every time the Soviets had a major success in space, that became kind of a, a propaganda item. The same thing occurred um, on the American side. And we see that today in the space race, uh, in the post-Cold War environment. So you have all of these elements that kind of uh, connected with the space race during the Cold War. Interesting. And uh, just correct me if I'm wrong. So national interests are the prime I would say, kind of focus uh, due to which espionage activities occur, right? Am I, am I right in this context? Yes. So these are typically nation states uh, competing against other nation states, although, and I'm sure we're going to get into that later on with the privatization of the space race today, you also have espionage between non-state actors, as in firms, private companies that uh, have taken a state to claim in the space race itself. So it's kind of interesting. It's gotten a lot more complicated now because you don't just have state actors against state actors anymore. Yes. Also, just to add on the same layer, so can you please tell us how geopolitical motivations are connected to intelligence services? Because uh, just now uh, you said like national interests are the prime focus. So I believe geopolitical motivations are also connected uh, to the intelligence services. So can you please extend a little bit on that? Absolutely. I think it's a bit of a misconception among those who are not uh, closely following the field of intelligence to believe that intelligence agencies make policy or they make decisions that governments then follow. In fact, intelligence agencies in almost every case, there are some exceptions to that, but they're very rare. Intelligence agencies do not make policy, nor do they, strictly speaking, establish any kind of policy priorities. Intelligence agencies simply reflect the policy priorities of the ruling administration. So that is precisely why in the United States, the US intelligence community begins to focus so intensely on the space race after it became a sort of a major deliverable for the US government in about the late 50s, let's say, after the launch of Sputnik by the Soviet Union. Um, We saw the same thing with the creation of the US Space Force in more recent years. And all of the, of course, all of the associated intelligence functions that it contains that represents a major shift in policy for the White House. Therefore, the U.S. intelligence community kind of follows suit as a whole. Now, again, there are very, very minute exceptions to that rule. Uh, There are countries where the intelligence community is so powerful that it begins to kind of operate as a de facto ruler of the country. One example is possibly Pakistan where the Inter-Services Intelligence Agency is is extremely powerful, some say is the most powerful aspect of the state, but that is not typical of what we see. So it's important for the audience of this podcast to be aware that intelligence agencies do not make policy, they strictly follow the policy and geopolitical priorities of the administrations under which they serve. Yes. As you mentioned, like uh, somewhere there is a power imbalance that happens, and I, and I think uh, intelligence agencies and military shouldn't actually run the country, but you know they are meant to protect the country. 
uh, also just you know to get down the line of the commercial industries i think we are reaching that point like how has industrial espionage uh, specifically affected modern commercial industries uh, especially in terms of intellectual property theft uh, i'm asking this question because we have observed recently in the space industry several cases you know happening all across you know upstream and downstream uh, market of the space sector uh, and i believe ip is something that is very much at risk over here so can you please extend uh, a little bit on this as well yes i'm glad you asked me that question because i actually have very strong opinions on the matter um i would argue and this is my personal view that intellectual property theft um, facilitated through the use of industrial espionage, because that's what is happening nowadays in the case of the space industry, um, for reasons of profit in some cases, but also for reasons of national security, has been, if not the leading force, then I would say certainly among the leading forces in the development of the modern commercial industry sector. And that includes, I think, uh, the space industry. I, I really don't think that we have seen the full extent of intellectual property theft that takes place in this field. And I think if we could yes. see the full extent of intellectual property theft sponsored by states uh, that is yes. taking place in this field, it, it would really stun even the most cynical observers um, out there. Now, certainly yes. when it comes to the, the modern landscape of espionage, there are certain countries that we can point to, such as North Korea and China, others to a lesser extent, but those two are kind of the leading forces in this field, whose, um, if you look at their espionage posture, it's basically a financial enterprise. It's designed to impair the competitive position of their adversaries, right? Whether these are other nation states or private companies. And at the yes. same time, they're designed to enhance the international competitiveness of their own state industries. So these are, could be state-owned companies or they could be private firms that are affiliated with the state. So I would say at this point, this is clearly visible in the case of China. I mean, in the case of China, the vast majority of Chinese espionage abroad is commercially driven and it has yes. financial goals. Now, of course, you can argue that these financial goals, to the extent that the Chinese finance sector and the Chinese industry sort of stay controlled in many cases or in most cases, it is kind of integrated into the national security kind of posture, but much of this is manifested through uh, commercial espionage. So if you kind of think about the importance of the commercial sector in the space, uh, in the space field, the space sector, you can understand what a major target this is for Chinese, in particular Chinese, but to a lesser extent, North Korean, Iranian and other uh, type of attacks. Yes, as you mentioned, China and we were discussing intellectual property theft altogether. So I'd like to know a little bit from your perspective, uh, the China's uh, role in espionage cases and its impact on the other nation, because 
recently we have seen china's footprint increasing in latin america and primarily in argentina they have set up a deep space network antenna which was showcased firstly as a station uh, primarily to serve you know for the science collaboration but later on it was uncovered that uh, that deep space network antenna uh, for the space research was under the control of people's liberation army that is uh, chinese armed forces so can you tell us a little bit about uh, the chinese espionage cases and its impact on the nation sure and i'll also make the caveat here that uh, the close connection between the space race space exploration and everything yes. attached to that and espionage is not new china did not invent that i mean you can go back to the era of the cold war you can find that there's a very strong relationship between the space race space institutions space research space scientists even scientists and espionage even in the days yes. of the cold war and all all parties uh, are kind of responsible for that so again it's not a chinese invention having said that and you mentioned uh, some cases in, recently in latin america for example argentina we've seen kind of an interesting um, approach by the chinese into kind of uh, creating a hub there for space the space uh, space the space industry the chinese space industry i would argue that today uh, chinese espionage represents what i would personally call sort of the largest state-sponsored espionage project in history. If you look at yes. espionage, of course, being an ancient methodology, goes back to the ancient Chinese, the ancient Greeks, and so on and so forth, um, all the way through the Cold War and today, I, it, 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 I think it, the Chinese effort to conduct espionage dwarfs any kind of other previous state-sponsored espionage efforts by say the united states or even the ussr during the the cold war and a portion of that a portion of that targets space technologies they have been very very uh you know detail oriented uh, reports of chinese espionage efforts focused on acquiring space related technologies but also information so either hardware but also some of the theory and the science yes. behind it and this includes all kinds of things. I mean, we're talking about attempts to obtain data that relate to satellite systems, um, launch vehicles, uh, space exploration more broadly, but also, of course, research and development on all of those fields. Uh, we're talking here about cyber attacks. We're talking about hacking. Uh, I mean, you know, to a large extent, but yeah. also we're talking about something that interests me more directly, which is insider threats and yes. human intelligence gathering. And we see also efforts to target uh, both industrial entities, but also academic entities involved in space technology, in, both in research and development. So we've seen several cases. Uh, the one in Argentina yes. is interesting because it's so it's so big, it's so such a large footprint. But we also also seen um, cases of, you know, individual insider kind of yes. espionage cases, uh, efforts to steal intellectual property, trade secrets, uh, any kind of proprietary information from companies and research institutions. Yes. And I think what's interesting about this 
is that, in my opinion, the internationalization and the globalization of space manufacture is, is, a, is a leading aspect of this landscape. So, you know, we've seen this in the last, definitely in our century, if not a little bit earlier too, but this globalization of the space industry, it allows various components of space hardware yes. to be designed or built, assembled in various countries. And that, yes. of course, gives China the ability to attack a multitude of targets rather than just the United yes. States, for example, or rather than just India or rather than just uh, uh, Russia, et cetera. Um, I mean, an example of this is, and I'm sure your audience is aware of this, it, it relates to semiconductors, right? Which semiconductors, of course, are yes. essential to any country or any effort by non-state actors to uh, advance its space program. Um, yes. I mean, that has been referred to as sort of the oil of the 21st century. Semiconductors are key here. And, you know, it's interesting that the vast majority of advanced semiconductors today are manufactured in Taiwan, which China, yes. of course, uh, claims as its own territory. There are now attempts to decentralize that production, the production of semiconductors in order to kind of ensure that this will not be hampered uh, if there is a war between China and Taiwan. But by doing that, it also multiplies the targets of espionage. Yes. And I think we're going to see this kind of a richer target environment affect the way espionage is planned and implemented by various state actors in the coming decades. Yes, I think you covered most of the point uh, related to the infiltration that is happening even here in Europe as well, uh, that I believe we have recently seen a lot of cases, uh, both from the Chinese and the Russian side, so uh, just this question is just you know in from a general aspect and from your expertise uh, having spent over more than a decade uh, in this uh, sector so what measures government and you know the intelligence agencies can potentially take to reduce the chinese and russian infiltration yeah that's a really great question it's very difficult to answer holistically um, i would say that it is actually extremely difficult for counterintelligence measures to be taken and to be yes. adequately implemented in societies that are fundamentally open, like that of yes. the United States, like that of uh, say most of the European countries, particularly those in the European Union. Um, the fact is that if you impose strict counterintelligence measures, I mean, that would inevitably result in the restriction of civil liberties. And populations yes. in the West in particular, they tend to be willing to do that after a major catastrophic event, for example, 9-11 yes. or the sort of the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor or even the Russian invasion of Ukraine. However, yes. these types of permissibilities, I mean, they don't last very long because Western populations um, particularly the American population, I have to say, they're used to having, um, they're, they're, not, they're not used to having the civil liberties uh, curtailed in a major way. So these types of permissions have an expiration date. However, I will say that one thing that can be done is the yes. conscious 
and deliberate promotion of, of, of STEM education. And that includes mm -hmm. phys physics and engineering in Western nations. I think for, for a very long time, Western nations have neglected their education systems. And you've, yes. seen, you've seen the growth of education systems in Western countries that tend to focus on profit rather than resilience and, yes. uh, and coordination, right? So there needs to be some kind of re-establishment of an educational system that is not just focused on profit, but is also focused on resilience and some kind of connection with, with national priorities and national goals. Yes. And so we need, just simply put, we need to have a, a growth um, in the percentage of physics and engineering talent uh, that is yes. produced by Western universities. Right, so yes. um, I've, I've, I myself uh, is a product. I'm a product of um, the globalization of education, and that is a very good thing when it comes to sharing ideas. It does, however, present a host of counterintelligence complications, and it can undermine yes. security and resilience. So it is important that if we're serious about um, engineering yes. as a as a as a social product and that of course affects directly the space uh, sector that we that we funnel that in the educational system in a coordinated way this cannot be left to industry because industry because of its competitiveness cannot have a uh, sort of a, a coordination that is required here this must be the work of governments uh, yes. to promote stem to uh, assist uh, in uh, the, the counterintelligence uh, uh, concerns that we have when it comes to the space sector, but also other STEM-based sectors in the West today. Yes, I believe uh, educating the people is the most convenient way. Uh, I have been actually uh, promoting and advocating, I would say, through my podcast uh, in previous several episodes. And whenever I meet the people and the, my colleagues, from the space industry i always tell them about these topics you know if there there are some espionage cases that are happening i try to share the information with them you know uh what has happened you know why you should be aware about this because i think until the people are not aware uh till then you know we cannot possibly you know reduce this kind of infiltration and just putting the restrictions will possibly you know uh, degrade the value of commercialization in the space industry but i'm, I'm pretty sure like if uh, down the line, if people are not, you know, educated uh, about this topic very well in the space industry, there won't be much option, but the government then has to regulate a lot of things on the commercial side. And I, I think I'm coming to the that similar question, like the commercialization of space technology has given access to civilians, making it easy to plot a double agent. So can you discuss the concept of double agents firstly, and the complexities of managing double agent operations sure and i think i would actually uh mention here omkar that we're not necessarily strictly referring here to double agents a double agent technically is someone who is recruited by a government to spy yes. against a target that then switches and spies on his recruiter um yes. on behalf of the 
original target or, or maybe another party. So I think what you're probably referring to is what can be described as an insider threat. So insider somebody threat, who is yes. working, let's say, for a space program, whether it's sponsored by state or a firm, and then is recruited, um, you know, for a host of reasons, to spy for an adversary entity. Yes. Much of that has to do with understanding the psychology of human beings, right? So it is true that particularly in our time, insider threats are individuals who are recruited for a host of reasons. So why would somebody spy on the hand that feeds them, let's say? And this has to do with, like I mentioned, money, but it's all sorts of things like ideology. We saw that a yes. lot during the Cold War. Uh, ego. Uh, feeling that they've been passed for promotions or they feel that they're not being appreciated enough or they feel slighted in some way um, or even blackmail. So, and, yes. and, and you mentioned some, uh, some recent cases of espionage um, involving Russia, China uh, in the space sector, uh, particularly in places like Holland and Germany and so on and so forth. Uh, we've seen all of those, right? We've seen We've seen various reasons why these individuals uh, collaborated with an adversary entity. And I would say that blackmail is or compromise of sorts is not out of the question. So you mentioned earlier education. Um, I don't think that the average scientist who works in the sp space field or the average, um, even a CEO are aware that they are actually targets in a major way. So yes. Um, it's these kinds of cases that come out in the open and then people have to revise their, their planning and so on and so forth. But these types of insider threats, I mean, that's the lifeblood of espionage organizations. I mentioned before that technical mean, means of intelligence collection, for example, communications interception or hacking somebody's computer, et cetera, et cetera, phishing, all these kinds of things. Yes, they can tell you certain things, but nothing can give you the full picture uh, like, you know, as, as if you, when you actually are able to recruit somebody on the inside, you can have the most, you know, the most advanced security system in your computers, but if you have an inside person that can circumvent that, then you're still going to get your information stolen. Um, it's interesting. Yes. And that's one of the reasons why I think that, you know, even though, as you mentioned before, the advancement of technology has been instrumental in the field of security. A lot of the attacks are happening now remotely. I mean, we cannot, we cannot ignore the human factor here. Uh, that ends up being at the end, usually the most damaging factor. Now, of course, it's kind of also interesting from a, from a tradecraft point of view in intelligence that people who do make the decision to spy for another entity, I mean, it typically ends badly for them. They rarely end up yes. making much money. Um, and they usually, despite, of course, their intentions to the contrary, they tend to enter a, a sort of a spiral of self-destruction that almost certainly ends in the demise. They either become disillusioned, they become alcoholics, they get arrested, or uh, they get thrown away by their um, employees. Uh, and I mean, those who employ them to spy on the target. Um, yes. So... Uh, it's it's a it's a very unhappy game. Unfortunately, it is a name of the game. 
And I would urge yes. every single person who listens to this podcast, who is in the space uh, in the space sector, to take counterintelligence extremely seriously. Yes. Um, you know what we find is that people who work in this sector, who have a background in counterintelligence, um, maybe the chief security officer of certain companies or state agencies, they understand that. But typically, those who are um, working for these agencies don't understand that who are not CIA professionals, counterintelligence professionals, don't yes. get that as much as they should. And those who are at the top tend to not get that as much as they should. This especially applies to the private sector, which has also a motive to be profitable and often tends to cut corners in order to ensure profitability. And some of these corners end up being the counterintelligence aspect. And when you realize that, that you have not been funding that part of your operation enough, it's too late. Yes. I think uh, like going down the line, uh, the cooperation between the nations is very important uh, because we have recently seen like US and India. I mean, Earlier, if you'd have asked me, someone had asked me this question uh, 20 years back, like the cooperation between the US and India on, on the defense side, like US and India has, have been cooperating on several civil and scientific missions in the space industry. But on the defense side, on the military segment, uh, the cooperation has recently increased. And I believe there will be a space a little bit to also share some more things uh, for the benefit of both the nations. So from this perspective, I'd like to know, uh, like, do you believe cooperation between different intelligence agencies is a way forward to reduce th such threats and record healthy growth in industries like space? And uh, what I meant here is like the cooperation between uh, the allied nation, the partners, like, for example, in Artemis Accords, now India and US and several other European nations are partners. So, you know, sharing information between these intelligence agencies of these countries. So do you think this is a way forward? Yes, I agree with you 100% on this, Omkar. Uh, you mentioned the Artemis Accords. These are a great step forward. Uh, definitely a very good thing. On the other hand, uh, you can argue that increasing cooperation between states is a good idea in theory. Unfortunately, in the field of espionage, I would say cooperation is always lacking. There's always skepticism between yes. intelligence agencies, even when dealing with allied nations, right? So there's a saying in intelligence that there's no, there's no such thing as a friendly foreign intelligence service, even of those of your closest allies, because these are national, um, national security kind of doctrines that sometimes clash with even the closest, uh, your closest ally. Now, having yes. said that, um, you know, there's, take the example of, of European intelligence agencies or let's say NATO intelligence agencies. There's no question that the war in Ukraine, to take one example, has increased uh, collaboration between North American and European intelligence agencies to a, to a tremendous degree. I've never seen in my entire uh, career uh, as much co close cooperation between these agencies as I've seen since the outbreak of the war in Ukraine. So often yes. major traumatic events or disasters will tend to 
increase that level of cooperation to the point where you get um, actual tangible results. So yes. I would say perhaps this can serve as a model for intelligence cooperation in the future in areas uh, such as space. Let's all hope that this happens. Yes. And I think uh, we have now reached the end of the podcast. Uh, so my final question is especially for the students because uh, there's a significant audience from the university and from the research side as well, mainly the PhD scholars and the people who have just entered the PhD studies. Uh, so this question, you know, primarily is for them. Uh, like what message would you like to give to the students stepping into the field of intelligence and security studies? Well, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, for academics, for the academic side of things, uh, it takes someone who is willing to begin to explore a field that information is often hard to come by. Uh, as academics, of course, researchers, we rely on data and often data is behind uh, secrecy walls in the field of intelligence. Having said that, it takes somebody who understands the importance and the value of researching intelligence as an integral aspect of democratic societies in our time and is willing to put in the effort to uncover this information so long as of course as it doesn't uh, harm national international security interests now having said that um, when it comes to practitioners of intelligence i would say do not enter the field if you're looking to get wealthy, um, do not enter this field <laughs> yes. unless you're willing to make to make sacrifices and, um, yes. and unless you believe strongly in public service, which means, of course, serving a cause that is bigger than just yourself. And ultimately, when it comes to espionage, actually being involved in espionage operations as a, as a practitioner. Um, I mean, I would say make sure that you're, you're serving a cause that you're willing to die for. Yes, that's that's a very crystal clear answer. Thank you very much, Joseph, for your time. And I believe uh, my network, uh, industry network, I would say, and primarily the people, the new listeners and the existing listeners, definitely they would take a lot of key points from this conversation. Uh, because I believe that there were also a lot of questions that have popped up uh, in, during the conversation. And I hope in the near future, uh, we might create even the follow-up episodes as there are some more developments in this sector. So again, thank you very much, Joseph. It was great to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Mkar. It's been a great honor for me to be among your esteemed guests of the podcast. And thank you for all you do to raise awareness of all issues relating to the space sector. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you find our podcast insightful, then please like, share and subscribe. See you in the next episode. Thank you.